Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. Yes, so beautiful and so weird. So this week, our new, like, new history, I guess not new history, our current events, bizarre thing that's happening is... This is the first time that a president has ever gone through a second impeachment. impeachment. And also the first one to go through an impeachment while not the president. Post-presidency. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's happening in our world today. Crazy, crazy. (laughs) But we're going to take it back a lot in this episode. But first, we are going to do presidential trivia Hit me with it. I'm ready. Which president is the only president to hold a patent? Thomas Edison. (laughs) Not a president. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) Just kidding. I knew that one. Jefferson, though? I feel like that's a good guess. It's not him. Oh, really? But I feel like he's a good guess. Bush? No, it's not Bush. (laughs) (laughs) Though that would be great if it was. (laughs) What do you think Bush would have a patent for? Words. Words. Which I guess would be trademark, but... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, the answer will be at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. On March 7th, 1807... I told you we were going to go way back. Yeah, way back machine. The U.S. Congress passed an act that would prohibit the importation of slaves into any port or place within the jurisdiction of the United States from any foreign kingdom, place, or country. Hmm. So, slavery is still legal, but importing slaves... Is now illegal. Is now illegal. Importing slaves from any place that's not within the United States. Hmm. At this time, there are about 4 million people enslaved in the southern United States. So I feel like all that did was just make slaves more valuable. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Just yeah. drive, like, the market price. Way up. Yeah. Like, that's, that's about it. So, like, current slave owners are just the only ones who benefit from this. Right. This act was a compromise between northern and southern states. Northern states wanted to work towards abolition. Mm-hmm. This was, you know one of the steps right and southern states felt that they had a large enough slave population that it could self-sustain itself because the children of enslaved people automatically became enslaved upon birth Hmm. they're like we have four million slaves we're we're doing fine the act went into effect in 1808 which followed great britain's ban of the african slave trade in 1807 Despite these bans on the importation of slaves, the illegal slave trade boomed. Cuba was one of the world's largest producers of sugar. In order to keep up with production, slaves were still being shipped in, and by 1839, 45% of Cuba's population was made up of enslaved people of African descent. Wow. So almost every other person in Cuba is a slave. Right. A Spanish slave trader named Pedro Blanco arrived in Africa in 1824-1825, one of those, and he began to build a massive slave trading business on the coast of Sierra Leone. Pedro Blanco became increasingly wealthy and lived a life that was a combination of a European gentleman and an African king. Sierra Leone was a British colony, 
and British ships often patrolled the coastline trying to enforce the slave trade laws. But Blanco had a complex system of lookout posts and boats in order to get past the British. Blanco was able to get a system worked out that once a slave ship docked in the harbor, all the slaves, food, and supplies needed were loaded as quickly as possible before the British arrived. It was said of Blanco's system that 1,000 slaves could be shipped in four hours. All things favorable. Wow. So they are moving quick. Yeah. Ships often flew the American flag while transporting slaves, even if neither the captain, owner of the ship, nor the merchant aboard were American, because the United States refused to sign an agreement with Britain that would allow British naval captains to inspect their vessels. Mm. So. So our independence is kind of what's really protecting these ships then. Yeah. And I almost wonder if the reason we didn't is because we were such a pro-slavery country at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's why yeah. we didn't sign it. Yeah. It was probably given up during the negotiations for the enactment. Yeah. In early 1839, hundreds of Africans were enslaved, a mixture of men, women, and children. They came from several different culture groups that spanned across Sierra Leone at the time and were marched and put on canoes to the coastal town of Lomboko, which was up to 250 miles away for some of these enslaved Africans. Wow. Some were enslaved when their village had been burned down and the citizens of the village were taken as prisoners. Some of the children were sold into slavery when their parents couldn't pay their debts. Once they reached Lomboko, they were placed into barracoons. Here they waited to be loaded onto slave ships. In the barracoons, food was scarce and beatings for even the smallest infractions were common. After being kept in barracoons for several weeks, around 500 captives were loaded onto a slave ship named the Tekora. Being an illegal slave ship, there are not many written records of the Tekora. But we right. know. Like a good business person, you don't want your illegal things in books and writings. <laughs> yeah. But we do know that the ship was either a Portuguese or a Brazilian slave ship. Hmm. That's about what we know. The captives were shackled around their ankles, wrists, and necks in the slave hold of the ship. Between each deck and the hold, slaves were crammed in a space that was a little over three feet high. Wow. So sometimes, like, not even enough to sit up, up straight. Yeah. Yeah. Sit up, let alone stand. Yeah. They said a lot of these um, slaves, once they got off the main slave ship, they were, like, permanently deformed because of the way that they sat uh, on the ship over. for weeks. Mm -hmm. Captives were whipped for even the most minor of offenses, like not finishing the little food they were given. And disease ran rampant in the cramped quarters. Each morning, dead bodies were brought up from the slavehold and tossed out into the ocean. There are a lot of historical records that show that sharks would swim around slave ships, ready to eat the bodies that were thrown overboard. Hmm. Like, the sharks caught on that these were... Uh, those are source of food. Yeah. And so uh. they would just hang out. Many sailors that were part of the crews on these ships were afraid to get near the water, even to, like, wash their hands or anything because of the sharks. Wow. There's a lot That's of... terrifying. Records like, I'm already that, not a fan of sharks. Right? And there's a lot of records that there's, like, this one, like, captain's log that said there was like this huge shark that you could just see it's like black outline in the mm -hmm. water mm -hmm. and when they weren't throwing slaves overboard like dead slaves overboard the shark would just hang out underneath the boat and would just swim along with it wow until one of the slaves were thrown overboard for it to eat wow yeah after two months the Takora began to approach cuba 
A few days before they made it to land, the captain of the ship ordered all of the captives to be brought up to the deck where they were bathed and given clean clothing. They were also given larger amounts of food and water than they had had for the other parts of the trip. Yeah. If you're about- like, a life- like livestock. I mean, it's literally what people do with livestock. Is- well, yeah, you want them to look healthy and be mm-hmm. happy when you're trying to get people to buy them. You right. don't want like them, them looking emaciated or diseased. Right. Because British ships were patrolling the waters around Cuba for slave ships, the Decora waited until night to dock in a secluded inlet nestled in the Cuba coastline. Once the ship was anchored, the captives were placed onto small boats and taken ashore. Once they made it to land, they were forced to march for three miles through the jungle and then crammed into crudely constructed warehouses where they stayed for almost two weeks. Jeez. They were then forced on another march through the jungle during the night until they made it to just outside of Havana. At daylight, the captives were placed into a barracoon that also acted as a slave market during the day. During the slave market, the captives were made to line up so that potential buyers could inspect them. Jose Ruiz purchased 49 adults, and Pedro Montes bought four children. Ruiz and Montez planned on taking their newly purchased captives to sugar plantations located a few hundred miles away in Puerto Principe, now Camagüey, Cuba. So they like bought them and they were going to sell them at these sugar plantations for like a marked up price. Sure. On the night of June 28, 1839, the purchased captives were dressed in sailor attire and marched toward the waterfront. There's still British ships around, mm-hmm. so they're like, well, we'll dress you up as sailors so that you don't look like slaves, mm-hmm. and they don't, the British Catch ships them. don't try to, yeah, board us. They were made to board the ship named La Amistad, which is Spanish for friendship. It was a long, low schooner that had a small crew of five men. The hold was filled with supplies, so half of the captives had to sleep on the main deck, chained in the open air, while the other half sat in the cramped hold. Like, neither is ideal. Right. Again, the captives were given very little food and water. I read one instance where they were only given half a teacup of water a day. Wow. Like, that's... And this is... Which, if you're up on deck in the sun, in the heat, like, that's not nearly enough. Yeah, this is summer in Cuba. That's not enough water at all. Five of the captive men found where the water was kept below deck and drank as much as they could. When they were caught, they were whipped with a cat o' nine tails. Mm-hmm. You know what that is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And each man was whipped four times. Mm. Like, I think they were whipped, and I don't know how many, like, lashings they got. And then mm. they, they went through all five men, and then they did it again four times each. Wow. After the whippings, Ruiz ordered the crew to mix together salt, rum, and gunpowder and rub the mixture into the wounds. Ouch. Yeah. And then I think one of the captives said that they were then forced to eat some of that mixture, too. Mm. After eating breakfast on June 30th, a captive named Singbe Pie, also known as Joseph Chinke, tried to ask the ship's cook where they were being taken through hand signals. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they, have, they don't speak Spanish mm-hmm. like their captors have been, mm-hmm. so they have no idea what's going on, what's, going on, mm-hmm. what's happening to them. The cook grabbed a large knife and drew the blade across his throat. He then made a chopping motion with the knife and placed imaginary pieces of meat into his mouth. 
Chike was sure that the cook was telling him that they were being taken to an island where they would be killed and used as food. This made sense to him because many Africans believed that white men were cannibals. But if, I mean, like, why wouldn't you believe that? Right, since it's literally just what he signed to you. Yeah. That night, the captives met below deck and agreed that they would rebel against their captors. Dying fighting their captors would be better than being eaten by them. Right. Shinke found a loose nail and was able to use it to pick the padlock on his neck collar. After that, the rest of the padlocks were either picked or broken. Two of the captives were blacksmiths back in Africa, so they undoubtedly used their knowledge to help break everybody free. Yeah. Yeah. The men then went around the ship and found whatever they could use as a weapon to arm themselves. Shinke picked up a hand spike and used it to beat the cook to death. That was like his first... (laughs) His first, first stop. Like, yeah. Yeah. After that, the rest of the men began to attack the rest of the ship's crew. The captain of the ship didn't have time to load his gun, so he grabbed a dagger and a club. He killed two African men until he was slashed to death with cane knives that the children had found aboard earlier. Hmm. Two other crewmen threw a canoe overboard and jumped into it. Ruiz and Montez tried to fight back, but they were disarmed. The rebels tied the two Spaniards together and threatened to kill them. Instead of killing them, though, the rebels threw the two men below deck while others went through the captain's cabin and planned their next move. A teenage crew member had also been spared by the rebels because he was able to act as an interpreter between the rebels and the Spaniards. Hmm. Chinque was chosen as the leader of the rebels and ordered Montez to guide them back over the Atlantic Ocean to Sierra Leone. He's like, just take us back the way we came. We just want to go home. Oh my gosh. That's like... No small, like, float. No, and they're in a little boat compared to what they came over in. (laughs) Montez tried to say that he did not know the way, but Chinke told him to just steer the boat east and the sun would guide the way. He's like, I know we came from over there. Yeah. So how hard can it be to find Africa? To go back. (laughs) Yeah. So during the daylight, Montez did as the rebels told him and sailed the ship east. However, he did it very slowly with the sails loose. At night, he redirected the ship west and north trying to stay in coastal waters and hopefully encounter another ship. Hmm. At this point, he doesn't even care if the other ship is British and Mm -hmm. everything gets taken away. He's just afraid of dying at this point. (laughs) We stopped. Well, rightfully so. I mean, he was, he was a crew member on this slave trade ship. Right. Like, yeah, fear for your life, because you were kind of a dick. Well, yeah. yeah. Like, more than kind of a dick, a lot of a dick. Well, and every time, like, that Montez would do something kind of suspicious, Chinko would be like, you do that again, and I'm going to kill you. Yeah. You sail east, or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. They stopped on various small islands in the Bahamas to gather more supplies, especially water, because they didn't have very large containers of water. They were only supposed to be on this ship for a few days. days. Yeah. But they were always quick to move on. There was still little water to drink on board, and dehydration and dysentery weakened many of the Africans. After seven weeks of slow sailing, they encountered a large ship off the coast of Long Island. So now they're in New York. <laughs> they made it all the way up there. Jeez. Yeah. They like literally, I thought maybe you were going to say they ran into Florida. No. So after seven weeks, they make it to New York, Long Island, New York. Jeez. And they encounter a large ship off the coast of Long Island. The ship was the United States ship, the Washington. Seeing how large the ship was, the rebels were afraid it was another ship, another slave ship. Mm-hmm. 
The Washington thought that Amistad was a pirate ship after seeing several black crew members aboard. And it, like, slowly making its way up the coast. Men from the Washington were sent to board the Amistad and found extremely sick and emaciated men. They then found Montez and Ruiz, who praised the Americans as their saviors. Montez hugged one of the officers so hard that the officer threatened to shoot him if he didn't let go. Jeez. Like, get off me, man. Yeah. The Americans then freed Montez and Ruiz and locked the remaining 36 Africans back in the hold. What? Yeah. The Africans are, are too weak now to fight. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, obviously the black, pe- the black people are in the wrong here. So they lock them up. Back in the slavery hold. But uh, how? Like, how? How? Like, we've already said that, hey, no more slaves. Like, oh, just go about your business, go well, back to Cuba? they're thinking they're pirates. Oh. Uh, yeah. All 36 of them. Uh-huh. Even the children. It's not a very good argument. That's what... That's what You're this, just so naive, if that's what you really think. It's, it's not, They're not being naive. <laughs> we'll get to that. Not wanting to be captured again, though, Chinke jumped overboard and began to swim away. He would go underwater for up to five minutes at a time. Jeez. And whenever he came up for air, the American sailors would start rowing after him until they lost him under the water again. They'd be like, oh, there he is, and they'd row, 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 and then they'd lose him and wait around until they spotted his head pop up again. This went on for about 40 minutes until the Americans got close enough to point a gun at Chinke's head and commanded that he stop. Chinke was pulled back aboard, and the Africans were sent to Connecticut, not New York. Connecticut at the time was a slave state. New York was not. Mm-hmm. While the Africans sat in prison in Connecticut, and a judge decided if they should be charged with piracy and murder, the commanding officer of the Washington, Lieutenant Thomas Gedney, and another officer, Lieutenant Meade, applied to the court for salvage rights of the Amistad, including the valuable human commodities aboard. This so that's why they took mm. them to Connecticut, not New York. In Connecticut, they could, their re, commodities, they could, sell, they could sell the they could sell the slaves and get the profit off of it. Yeah. In New York, they're free people. I hate. Uh, makes me so mad. In an article he wrote for the New London Gazette, Lieutenant Meade wrote that Chinke was a strong, well-built man who had bring in at least fifteen hundred dollars at an auction in New Orleans. So now it was up to the judge to decide if the Africans would be charged for crimes and or be considered slaves that could be acquired by Gedney and Meade. Media coverage of the Amistad Africans was vast, and thousands of visitors paid an admission fee to come look at them locked up in their jail cells. A month later, a New York City theater began to show a play titled The Long Low Black Schooner that was a theatrical reenactment of the rebellion. Hmm. I like kind of read about it. There's not much on it. Mm-hmm. It seemed like very, very, very loosely based on what actually happened. Yeah. The Africans also caught the attention of abolitionist Dwight James. James gathered evidence that the Africans could not speak anything other than their native language, and that the Amistad's papers declaring that they were carrying legal slaves had been fabricated. James began to write several letters to other abolitionists arguing that The blacks had a perfect right to get their liberty by killing the crew and taking possession of the vessel. Mm -hmm. Saying they're not legally slaves. Mm -hmm. They were were killed. They were 
uh, they were kidnapped. Oh, they were kidnapped. Yeah, yeah. They're kidnapped free people that have every right to kill their captors. Right. Just like a white person. Yeah. Yeah. Self-defense. With the help of abolitionists, the piracy and murder charges were dropped. Good. But the decision on what to do with the Africans was still to be determined. They gave them to Gedney and Mead. Are they property? Are they no, free you literally people? just literally just determined that they were free people. But let me guess, the court said they get to sell them. Well, and President Martin Van Buren just did not want to deal with the Amistad Africans, and he sent a navy ship to take them back to Cuba as soon as the hearings were over. What? He just figured the court would be like, yep, they were slaves. And he's like, we'll just send them back to Cuba and just not deal with it. But they literally determined that they were free people. <clears throat> well, not yet. Because they're in Connecticut. They're still, it's still not determined. But they, they did because they determined that they dropped all the criminal charges well, against them. They, they just, they dropped that because of like pressure from abolitionists. They just, and like everybody was like coming and seeing them. And then there's uh, this play. It was more like okay, societal pressure. Yeah. Not that they actually determined that they were free yeah. people or not. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So like I the, mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. It, it, yeah, yeah. In in a messed up world where slavery is legal, it mm-hmm. makes sense in a really messed up way. Mm-hmm. After five days of hearings, the judge issued that because the Amistad had been found on the high seas, Lieutenants Gedney and Meade were entitled to salvage. However, they were not entitled to the Africans, who were not considered property under Connecticut law. The judge also declared that of the Africans, each of them are natives of Africa and were born free and ever since have been and still of right are free and now and not slaves. So now it is declared that they're free, that they are free people. The ruling also included that the Africans could not be illegally sent to Cuba by the Van Buren administration. And the administration was responsible to get them back to their native land. Hmm. The Van Buren administration immediately appealed to a circuit court and then all the way to the Supreme Court, arguing that in the Pickney Treaty of 1795, the United States and Spain agreed to mutual assistance for ships in distress and stipulates that if a ship be forced through stress of weather pursuit or of weather pursuit of pirates or enemies, or any other urgent necessity to seek shelter, it shall be received and treated with all humanity and properly and properly assisted. All ships rescued of the hands of any pirates or robbers on the high seas shall be brought into some port and returned to those who originally owed them. So the Van Buren administration is saying, due to the Spaniards buying them, the Spaniards own them as slaves, the Americans rescued the ship on the high seas, so we should return the ship and the slaves and everything else that was on the ship to Spain in Cuba. Dicks. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Just just let them go back to Africa. Jesus. Yeah, they just want to live their life. Like, they just, <laughs> they but just want to be free. Why? Yeah. Why? Yes. Uh. But there's a lot of speculation that Van Buren, who is from New York, yeah. was doing this to gain favor with southern states. Mm-hmm. Political move. Yep. Ugh, politics. Bull. Former President John Quincy Adams heard about this. Mm-hmm. And he was at the time a U.S. representative from Massachusetts, because he just can't stay away right. from government. And he offered his legal services to the Africans and to defend their right to pursue freedom. He's like, I'll go to the Supreme Court for you guys. I was a president. I've got some pull. I, got some, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, I am that guy. 
<laughs> I am I have several guys. I, I've done a lot of things. During the trial, John Quincy Adams' address to the court lasted seven and a half hours. Oh, no. So two days in court. Referring to the treaty, Adams asked who then should be considered the robbers and what should be considered the merchandise mm-hmm. in this treaty argument that the administration's using. Yeah. Said, according to the construction of the Spanish minister, the merchandise were the robbers and the robbers were the merchandise. The merchandise was rescued out of its own hands, and the robbers were rescued out of the hands of the robbers. Is this the meaning of the treaty? (laughs) After the court adjourned for the day, the proceedings were postponed due to Justice Philip Barber being found dead in his bed the following morning. Oh. Puts a little damper on your Supreme Court Mm. case when one of the judges dies. Mm Mm-hmm. During the postponement, news came that the British anti-slavery patrol had destroyed the slave trading factories of Pedro Blanco on the Sierra Leone coast. That's where all of these people had been put put on the big slave ship. The British liberated over 800 Africans and burnt the barracoons to the ground, which resulted in about 200,000 pounds, or 9 million American dollars today, of property being destroyed. Good. So... It was a it was a win at least there. Mm-hmm. Now we can just get these these ones back. Yeah, if we can just get them home, get these people back back to their homes. When the court resumed, Adams attacked the Van Buren administration for executive interference in the case, and waved a copy of the Declaration of Independence around the courtroom, emphasizing the line: "We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Adams also argued that the Amistad and its cargo should legally belong to the Africans. Since they're the ones that captured it. Yeah. The Supreme Court decided seven to one that Amistad Africans never were the lawful slaves of Ruiz or Montez or of any other Spanish subject. They are natives of Africa and were kidnapped there and were unlawfully transported to Cuba in violation of the law and treaties of Spain and the most solemn edict and declarations of the government. So Hmm. Supreme Court is now even saying they're They're free. They're free. Free people. They're free people. However, the Supreme Court denied that the Amistad and its cargo belonged to the Africans, but they did agree that Gedney and the other officers were entitled to salvage. Of the boat. Of the boat. And the cargo. That's the all supplies, they get. The supplies. Not yeah. the cargo. Because, remember. Well, I mean, I'm not counting the people as cargo. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. Just clarifying the that. The people. Just clarifying that for the <laughs> <Yeah>. listeners. <laughs> the Supreme Court also ruled that the United States bore no obligation of repatriation of the Africans back to their home. The current president, John Tyler, was asked to provide funds of his own accord to fund the Africans' trip back home. However, he declined. Said, nah, no thanks. Mm-hmm. Don't want to. Yeah. I don't have to. <laughs> Abolitionists began scraping together funds to send the Africans back. Say, home. go fund me. Yeah. Yeah. Old fashioned, old fashioned, old fashioned. <laughs> Pass the hat. Yeah, and actually, like they were able to get it because, like, everybody around the nation knew about this. Knows about these. Like yeah. it was a Supreme Court case. Yeah. And back when, like. You don't have much for entertainment or anything going on. Like, this is huge news. Back when people, back when for entertainment, people followed the courts. Yes. (laughs) 
So on November 25th, 1841, the surviving Amistad captives departed New York Harbor for Sierra Leone along with five Christian missionaries. I believe one... Oh, they bought their way onto the boat, too, huh? Yeah, they did. They're like, we want to go to Africa, too. And then I believe one more Amistad African died during the trip um, by drowning of suicide. I think just everything... Traumatic experience. I think they'd been locked up for, like, two years. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. You know, and not treated well, and all of that has just got to... Where are you definitely mentally? Yeah. yeah. It's just sad that he was finally on his way home. When that happened. Mm hmm. Seven weeks later, they arrived back in Sierra Leone. A few of the Amistad Africans decided to stay with the missionaries, including the four children. Remember, there's little tiny children that have been experiencing all of this as well. Yeah. They've been locked up too. Yeah. And not being fed and. Going through this bloody rebellion. Yeah. Um, however, the majority left for their hometowns. I was. There's no historical records of what happened to them after that, which just means white people have no historical records of them, which is probably just for the best. Hmm. Hopefully, that means they had long lives, long happy lives. Mm-hmm. Then we're able to deal with the traumatic experiences that they experienced. Yes, but that's the story of the Amistad Rebellion. Jeez. Holy smokes. And unfortunately, it would take another almost 25 years after their Supreme Court case for the Civil War to end and slavery to finally be Be abolished abolished in the United States. Mm -hmm. Another generation of people. Right. Yeah. We are not very quick to progress. No. It takes us... A long time. Decades. Like, un- like it was such a big court case, but unfortunately, it really only affected those people. People. Mm-hmm. Since they were, since they weren't citizens of the United States. Right. Why? Which is like kind of a key thing to, to touch on is like, it's pretty interesting when you actually read the Constitution, uh, look for like... The differences between like the the terminology used is like like are all citizens created equal or is it all people are created equal right and like you know the the specific use of those two terms throughout the constitution and like what what does that mean you know because like, and like in this this is like a perfect example of it is like and in, in John Quincy Adams. He's like, it says, you know, all people are created equal. Right. It's not all citizens of the United States, it's all people. Yeah. And then there are certain rights that are afforded to citizens. Right. My sources for this story are How the Amistad Rebellion and Its Extraordinary Trial Unfolded by Jesse Greenspan, Mutiny on the Amistad by Howard Jones, The Amistad Mutiny 1839 by Samuel Momodou, and The Amistad Rebellion by Marcus Redeker. And then I saw Marcus Redeker also wrote a journal or wrote an article about the sharks um, following the slave ships. And he went into this whole, the history of sharks and yeah. And how the sharks really only start showing up in like British journals and like those kind of historical records when the slave trade like they really started on. noticing 
Yeah. Like these creatures. Like they didn't come up with the word shark until they were like in the Bahamas and the people in the Bahamas are like, oh, this is what that kind of fish is called. Hmm. They're like, oh. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The sharks actually have this huge history with the Atlantic slave trade. Hmm. As far it's as like, like white a, people are it's concerned. It's kind of like an odd intersection of like topics, you know? Yeah. Like it's weird to think like it took until the 1700s for people to realize that sharks were a thing i mean like <laughs> like really like you know right. wide like what like a like a giant species and like oh hey this giant body of water has them everywhere yeah and the reason i kind of started looking into it is because some people were speculating that the migration uh the migration patterns of sharks changed during the atlantic slave trade because oh, really? they were falling the slave ships. Hmm. It doesn't seem like that's necessarily true. Yeah. But there they wasn't, definitely there wasn't did. a significant like relevance. Right. Statistically and it, significant relevance between the two. And it would seem like the sharks just learned that the ships were a good source of food. Mm-hmm. And so once the ships kind of left that certain sharks area, they kind of let the ship alone. But then there are sharks all over <laughs> the Atlantic. The ocean. Yeah. All kinds of sharks. Yeah. And so they would be like hammerheads here, bull sharks here, tiger sharks, great whites out mm-hmm. here that would follow the boat. So there was just all the sharks found out. Crazy. Where the, yeah. yeah. They all figured it out. Mm-hmm. All right, presidential trivia. Yes. Which president is the only to hold a patent? It was Abraham Lincoln. Oh, man. The penny. (laughs) The penny, no. And he (laughs) actually, before becoming president, he would sometimes work as a patent lawyer. Uh So he was well-versed in the... Patent law. Patent law world. Hmm. His invention had to do with lifting boats over shoals and obstructions in a river. Hmm. He conceived... The levee? They're like, it's like little blow up things you'd put under your boat. Wow. Like just to create more buoyancy? Yeah. He conceived the idea. Um, he conceived the idea of this mechanism after being hung up on instructions twice in a boat. Huh. That's just like a little, just like a little extra inner tube you put under your boat to help make it float better. Yeah, that was that's basically to, to have less displacement. Yeah, huh. I looked at pictures, but it doesn't look like it was ever commercially created. Yeah, he just kind of got the patent and, and that then, was it. Yeah. Hmm. And nowadays, the modern American inner tube that you float down the river with in the summer. Uh, can be attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Or not. <laughs> Seems like it would be a logical path to follow. I don't know if like the inner tube was created <laughs> first, and Lincoln got his idea from the inner tube. Just like another use for it. He like he's stuck on this boat that got stuck on some rocks, and he sees some people inner tubing past the him. Floating he's like, by you know with, what? The, with her pints of hot beer, like <laughs> yeah. And he's like, that would be a great idea to put a big one under this boat. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we go, I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners that have reached out to us. It means a lot to know that people are actually listening and, and enjoying, enjoying our show. Uh, yeah. It kind of gives us, like, it definitely gives me motivation to... Reinvigorates the motivation. Yes, to keep finding stories and writing stories for all of you to listen to. Yeah. So definitely reach out. We love to hear from you guys, yeah. Especially if you have ideas for presidential trivia. Got some fun facts. We've we've used we've used a few facts that some listeners have have given us. 
So, um, yeah, definitely reach out and we hope you all stay safe. Check out the merchandise, <laughs> americathebazaar.com forward slash store. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay, stay weird, America. America.